Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, he filled it and wrapped it in the spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the first, because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. After the sermon, we will sing Psalm 60, stanzas 1 to 5. ago we remembered that Jesus Christ died on the cross. How did that come about? You may say, well, that's easy. It came about because they nailed him to a cross. The Pharisees and the scribes plotted against the Lord Jesus so that he would be convicted and sentenced to death. It did not matter to them that he was innocent and that he did not really harm anyone. They hated him. They wanted to get rid of him in every way possible. And in the worst way, they did. But was that true? Who really made it happen in the first place? Was it those evil men? Or was it God himself? For we know that the Lord Jesus Christ came to earth in order to die. It was not his plan to live out his days here on earth like the rest of us. We all would like to live to a ripe old age, don't we? But that was never the plan of the Lord Jesus Christ. He came in order to die. He came in order to die for our sins. He wanted his death to happen. about Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus who went to claim the body of the Lord Jesus and who made sure that he was laid in the grave. But we know from the scriptures that this is exactly the way it would happen. It says in Isaiah 53 that he would be laid in the grave of a rich man. We sang about that a moment ago in hymn 25 stanza 6. But then a rich man
uses the evil actions of man to further the progress of redemption. Also the good actions of man. That's what I will preach to you about this morning. Preach to you about the burial of the Lord Jesus in the plan of God. We will see, first of all, the request for this burial, the permission for this burial, and finally the miracle of this burial. The text introduces us to Joseph of Arimathea. We are told that he, on the day before the Sabbath, which is called the preparation day, asked Pilate for the body of the Lord Jesus. The Sabbath for the Jews began at sunset, Friday evening, and ended the following sunset. And so the body had to be buried soon. There could be no delay. Else it would have to wait until the following day after the Sabbath was over. Joseph of Arimathea, together with Nicodemus, did not want the body of the Lord Jesus Christ to be left unburied. And note well that neither Nicodemus nor Joseph of Arimathea belonged to the twelve disciples of the Lord Jesus. As a matter of fact, they actually belonged to the camp of the enemies of Christ. They belonged to the Sanhedrin, to the council, the supreme court of the Jews. Nicodemus was introduced to us in the beginning of the book of, Job, of John. And he came to the Lord Jesus, as no doubt you know, he came to the Lord Jesus in secret. For he was afraid to be known to be associated with him. And now here in this text we also read about Joseph of Arimathea. First time we meet him. Not just an ordinary member of the Sanhedrin. Nor as it says in the Mark account. He is a prominent member of that body. Yet he is the one who is concerned about the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who does not want any indignities to be visited upon the body of the Lord Jesus. Isn't that somewhat surprising? Where are the disciples? You would think that they would be the ones concerned about his burial, wouldn't you? However, the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ had fled. That's what they did. As it says in Matthew 26, verse 26. They did that already right after the arrest. At that time, it says there, the disciples deserted him and fled. Why? Well, they were afraid. They were confused. They didn't know what to do. And they certainly did not want to suffer the same fate as the Lord Jesus. We only know of one apostle who came back later to Golgotha to where Christ was hanging on the cross, and that was the apostle John. But he, nor any of the other disciples, gave any thought to the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now they are nowhere to be found. They were confused, and they were bewildered. They didn't know what to do. They didn't know what to think. It says someone unknown, Joseph of Arimathea, is the one who concerned himself about the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sure, Nicodemus was also involved, as mentioned here in this text. But the other three Gospels don't even mention Nicodemus. It appears that Joseph is the one who took the initiative, and also that he is the one with the means to be able to do what he did. 
Joseph from the Judean town of Arimathea is the man of the moment. Yet, brothers and sisters, God is the one who nevertheless is in control of all things. For Joseph of Arimathea is exactly the kind of man that is needed for this task. And God makes sure that he is the one who would appear upon the scene. For remember the Lord Jesus had to be laid in the grave of a rich man. That's what the scripture prophesied. And that scripture had to be fulfilled. Joseph indeed was such a rich man. He had his own private burial plot. That was something only the rich could afford. Why was it so important that the Lord Jesus Christ be laid in the grave of a rich man? Was his whole journey here on earth not one of humility? When he was born, he wasn't born in some castle. He didn't stay here. He was born of ordinary parents, not of some prominent couple in Israel. And he was humbled in every way possible all the time that he was on earth. Why now then did he have to be laid in the grave of a rich man? Why is that so important? Well, the answer is that at this point, God's glory must begin to shine through. For at this point, the mission of the Lord Jesus Christ had been completed. He had done what he came to do, namely to die for the sins of all those who belong to him. That mission was over. He had died a terrible death. He was hung outside in the city of God. And there he was ridiculed and treated like rubbish. No one wanted him. Even the disciples walked away from him, deserted him. And in the end, even God walked away from him, for God forsook him while he was on the cross. Now, brothers and sisters, it's all over. After his death, we see the dawning of the victory over death. The light begins to shine in the darkness. Christ's humiliation is making way for his exaltation. His humble state is about to be replaced by his glorious state. Soon he would rise bodily into heaven triumphantly. Oh, sure, he had not yet risen from the dead. But that would happen soon enough. In the meantime, his body had to be shown the respect that it was due. Do you know what the Romans would do to the bodies of those who were hung on a cross? They would dispose of them in mass graves. They would treat them as trash. When they were through with the dead bodies, you would hardly be able to know who was who. witnesses to the exact whereabouts of the body of Christ during all that time. If he was thrown into a mass grave, then that would not be possible. And the Lord God wanted to make sure that those witnesses would also be in place. And it's because of Joseph of Arimathea that he was involved in the cult. It's wonderful that Joseph, together with Nicodemus, this point, neither one is any longer afraid. For up until that 
time Joseph nor this Nicodemus had let their collars, their true collars, be shown. They were very much afraid of associating themselves with the Lord Jesus. And now they use whatever possessions they have to the furtherance of God's, God's kingdom. They use their position as prominent members of the Supreme Council. And Joseph of Arimathea uses his resources as a rich man to make sure that Jesus received a proper burial. Why would Joseph do that? Well, because as it says in Mark 15, verse 43, it says there that he was waiting for the kingdom of God. Joseph of Arimathea would have done a lot of soul searching. He had to think about what it was all about. He, humanly speaking, had made it to a position in life that would be envied by all. He was highly regarded. Men sought him out for advice. And as a rich man, he could lead a comfortable life. And yet these things didn't satisfy him, were not enough for him. They didn't impress him. He did not consider these things important enough to hang on to. He thought beyond this world, and he looked to the next. He knew that whatever possessions he had would mean nothing at all if those things were not used to the furtherance of God's kingdom. The same thing is true for all of us today. We labor, we have to toil, we gather up riches for ourselves, we make every effort to ensure that others do not need our own reputation, our own integrity are important to us. And so is our comfort. But in the end, think about it. Does it all mean anything? Is that something to be held on to at all costs? No. Riches pay the way. Reputations are easily shattered. That's because everything here on earth is fleeting. And in the final analysis, your earthly possessions and other people's opinion about you do not really mean all that much. Oh, sure, they mean something. But it's not the end. There is something much greater to be had. Joseph and Nicodemus had some understanding of this at this point. Brothers and sisters, do you understand that as well? Do you understand the importance of the furtherance of God's kingdom? Are you also willing to sacrifice for it? God's word has to go forth also through you. God requires that of his children. And so we don't have to make too many sacrifices right now, do we? We're all pretty comfortable. sacrifices are you making? Most of you are willing to contribute to the furtherance of God's kingdom, also financially. But did you know that each ward has several people in it who pay nothing at all for the ministry of the word? How is that possible? What does it say about you? Each and every one of us must ask him or herself whether or not we want to use whatever we have been given to the furtherance of God's kingdom. That
That means all of our resources, all of our talents. Doesn't mean you have to give it all away. God doesn't require from that, or maybe someday he will. But not now. It doesn't ask much. But where's your heart? Oh, sure, God will realize his plan without your contribution. And with it, too. The church will exist, will continue to exist without you or without me. God's kingdom will be realized without you as well. For he will use the good and the bad we do, but he holds us responsible for our actions. And if it is not our aim in life to seek his kingdom, then we cannot be part of that kingdom either. Then we cannot be part of God's plan in that way. And that is the way Joseph of Arimathea thought about it. He wanted to be part of God's kingdom work. And that's why he risks everything that he has. He goes right up to the most powerful man in Judea, to Pilate, and he asks for the body of the Lord Jesus. And in this way, he is part of God's plan. For he was the right man at the right time realize God's plan of salvation. God made him part of that plan. Can you imagine if one of the disciples had requested the body of the Lord Jesus? These men were of no account in the world at that day. They were nobodies. They were just some fishermen. They were from the lower rungs of society, from a part of the country that nobody really cared about. considered to be guilty along with the Lord Jesus. Why would Pilate pay any attention to them? But a man such as Joseph of Arimathea, one who was held in high regard by the people and one who was rich, he would be much more successful. And indeed he was when Pilate grants his request. That was an act of that he had to break rank with his peers. It meant that now he makes his choice publicly. He chooses against the Sanhedrin, and he chooses for Jesus. And he puts everything he has on the line. He risks his reputation, and he risks his riches. Are you and I willing to do that with the Lord God? Are you willing to put everything on the line, including your reputation, are you willing to let go of everything you hold dear on this earth in order to serve your God? Just like thousands upon thousands and thousands of believers before you. That's hard. And thankfully we don't live during a time of persecution. But that time may be coming. So you better start practicing sacrificing a little bit right now. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls... You can only do something like that in faith. He who believes does not just look at what he can see and touch and feel and experience around him. No, a believer looks to the future, to what God has in store for you, to what God has done for you, and what he has in store for you.
his creation. And you know what that is? If we can believe that, then we won't be afraid of it. Certainly not of anything that man can do to us, is he? Joseph of Arimathea is no longer afraid either. He asks Pilate where the body of Jesus is. That's the second point. It says in Mark passage that Pilate is surprised at the request. So he's surprised that he is already dead. Normally death would not come that quickly on the cross. Sometimes, especially when you're dealing with someone in the strength of his life, it could take days before a crucified person would die. And therefore it was their custom to leave the crucified on the cross until he was really dead. But the Jews did not want that. That's against their law. So it says in Deuteronomy 21 verse 23 that you must not leave a dead body on the tree overnight. It had to be buried that same day. Because anyone who is hung under a tree is under God's curse. That is why there was the request earlier to have the bones of those hanging on the cross broken. For the breaking of the bones would speed up their death. The soldiers found, however, that with the Lord Jesus this was not necessary. When the soldiers came to him, they noted that he was already dead. Pilate wants to make sure, however, that it is indeed the case. And so we read in the Mark account that he summoned the centurion and asked him if Jesus had really died. So here we have another witness that that indeed did happen. It's not something that was made up, as some modern theologians will have you believe. No, Christ really died on that cross. And John also very clearly testified to this. He says, I'm telling you the truth. There was no longer any breath in him. He did not just faint on the cross and then later walk away. As some theologian wants you to think, no, Christ died. He was really dead. And his death did not just merely happen to him. No, Christ himself also made it happen. That is why he says in John 10 verse 1, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. As the good shepherd, he had to lay down his life so that he could save his sheep from the wolves, from Satan himself. It was the only way. And that was a decision he himself made. And he had also the power to be able to do that. For he is the God of life and the God of death. Also, the power of death is in his control. What a tremendous comfort that is for us today, isn't it? Man may plot and scheme. He may think that he has all things in his hand. Nothing apart from the truth. As Christians, we know that God is in control of all things. We may know that also of our loved ones those who have died in the Lord and who have been put in the grave. We mourn them. I look around this room and there are still still some empty spots where we sat. God is in control. He conquered the grave. That, beloved, is the hope to which we cling. And those who are sick and ailing they are also in God's powerful hands. Oh, sure, God uses men. He uses the doctors and the nurses with the machines and their medicine. 
And these are wonderful things. They are God's gift to us. But he uses all those things also for his purposes, for ultimately they are also in his control. God has a plan for everything. And he has a plan for each and every one of you. And that is the way it was with the death and burial of the Lord Jesus Christ as well. He uses men. He uses the Sanhedrin. He uses the Roman soldiers. And he also uses a man like Nicodemus and a man like Joseph of Arimathea. God makes it all fit his plan. And that is something that Joseph of Arimathea understood. Not Pilate. Pilate thinks that he's in control. The man is in control. And so he does the bidding of men. Pilate is afraid of the Jews. As much as possible, he wants to cooperate with them. He knows how difficult they can make it for him. And that is why he gives permission for the burial of the Lord Jesus. Now that the Lord Jesus is dead, he wants to wash his hands completely of this man. He wants to be rid of him for good. Pilate is a pragmatic man. That's the way most people are. They act for the moment. They take action with a view to the present situation only. A pragmatic man is someone who is without a vision. He looks at what works for the moment. But a believer has a different vision. He looks to Christ and to what he has accomplished and what he still accomplishes in and through man. He knows that God has a purpose in everything. And we can see that also in the burial of Christ. We come to the third point. At the end of this text, we see the miracle of the burial of Christ. The man sent God pronounced the judgment that he would surely die. He said, dust you are, and to dust you must return. That is the sentence he is executing. That is the penalty for sin. Christ came to earth. He took on our human flesh. He took it on with all its weaknesses. Christ's body, just like ours, was prone to disease, to pain, and even to death. And so also his body had to die. But, and here is the great and wonderful miracle, his death, and also his body, they are unique. And that is the great difference between him and us. Only his death is the result of God's penalty against sin. Our death serves a completely different function. As we also know from the Heidelberg Catechism, our death is not a payment for sin. And that is the difference between his death and ours. Our death is an entrance into eternal life. We cannot enter heaven except that you die first. Christ went into the grave so that he could rise again from the grave. He went to the grave so that all who believe in him could also share not only in his death, but most importantly in his resurrection. Christ had to conquer the grave so that our body can also rise from the grave, renewed, purified. And that's why it is also important that we are given the details of Christ's death. We are given, the Bible gives us a very 
very sober and straightforward account. That's the fact. We've got to do it, but wrapped in with the spices and slips of lemon. Lemon bacon and a new too. What an act of love on the part of Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. Look at how lovingly they took care of the body of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. At this point, they were not fully aware of the significance of their actions. But God uses these actions of Joseph and Nicodemus to bring glory to the body of Christ. For you see, that was the most precious body that this earth has ever seen. That body. upon thousands and millions upon millions of people. That's what Easter is all about. Easter is about the good news of the triumph over death. It is the good news for all those who believe that the Lord Jesus Christ died, that he was laid in a grave, and that that grave could not hold him. And it all happened according to the plan of God. All those who believe may share wonderful plan of salvation. God has given us life. Life through his son. What a joyful celebration. God has a plan, a plan for all of us. In what way are you playing a